Good morning once again, everybody. Uh, My name is Ryan. I'm the senior pastor here. A warm welcome also to our folks at the Reston site, worshiping in their new location. Good to have you with us, and I hope you're enjoying your Sunday like we are. Uh, We are looking at Psalm 121. Psalm 121, it was just read for us. Uh, I read a story this past week. This is a true story. You're not going to think it's a true story about halfway through but it's a true story. I saw it on the internet, so totally true. I checked my sources. So, 64-year-old Peggy Jones is uh, mowing her lawn in Silsby, Texas, 100 miles northeast of Houston. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a four-foot snake drops out of the sky and lands on her arm and wraps itself around her arm. Now, she did what any good Texan would do. She just kept mowing, all right? Actually, no, that's not what she did. She did exactly what any of us would do. She began to wave her arm up and down, shaking her arm, trying to get this snake to detach, but it just kept squeezing tighter and tighter. And so she prayed. Three words. Help me, Jesus. She prayed it a few times, loudly. And all of a sudden, a hawk swooped in and began to attack her arm with its talons to pull the snake off once, twice, three times, four times, which is kind of like a good news, bad news situation. Because every time the talons were going deeper and deeper into her arm until finally the hawk rips it off and flies off. You can only imagine the explanation she was trying to give to the people at the ER. Fortunately, she's fine. She sustained some injuries, but she was fine after all of that. But it begs the question, what on earth just happened? Now, the most logical explanation is that a hawk caught a snake and was flying away with it, and at some point dropped it and happened to drop it right on her arm. And so he was simply being polite and retrieving his dinner, right? Because he lost it, now he wants it back. But it does make you wonder if, if there is just a little more to the story than just that. Like, could it be that we live in a universe made by God who cares enough to listen to the cries for help of a 64-year-old woman named Peggy Jones, minding her own business, mowing her lawn in Silsby, Texas, 100 miles northeast of Houston, who has a snake and a hawk attacking her at the same time and cries out in a moment of panic, help me, Jesus, and he does. Now, Psalm 121 would put before us the proposal that every moment of every day of your life, there is more going on than meets the eye. And that there really is a God who is there, who hears our cries for help and answers them. And as we look at that psalm together, let me pray for us because we need help right now that we'd understand what the Lord has for us in his word this morning. Father, we do ask for help. And our eyes are once more turned to you, the one who made heaven and earth, the one who has made us. 
and the one who has spoken that we might know you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, that story almost preaches itself. Uh, This psalm almost preaches itself. I mean, it's, you are so close to me not even having to preach this morning. You're so close, but just, just not close enough. Um, but part of the reason for that is uh, the, the, the question I want us to wrestle with this morning is right there in verse one. Where does my help come from? Now, I've moved some things around. I appreciate the English translators of the ESV not wanting to end the sentence in a preposition. School has just started or is about to start, so grammatically correct, applauding, but also a little stilted. So let's just say, let's, let's put it this way for the rest of the sermon. Where does your help come from? Or better yet, where do you go for help? Where do you go for help? Now, there is a polished up, very Sunday answer that you could give and we could be done, right? Like the polished up Sunday answer is, well, God, of course, I go to God for help. Thank you, pastor. Thanks for reminding me of that. Let's move on. But what I really want to talk about, and I think what Psalm 121 wants to spend some time unearthing is not the polished up answer, just the go-to answer. Uh, It really wants the practical, like Wednesday morning at 10 o'clock answer. When you are under pressure, when you are feeling the anxiety, when you don't know what to do next, when you're in the midst of conflict, when you're struggling with temptation, like where do you go for help? Where do you go? And to get that answer out of you, to draw that answer out of you, the psalm is going to try to convince us of two things. I would suggest it does so successfully, but I'm going to let you wrestle with that. Number one, why you need help. Number two, where you find it. Why you need it where you find it. Now, the reason the first one is important, first of all, is because Psalm 121 is predicated on the idea that all of us need help. Uh, this is not just the prayer of a, you know, a needy person out there somewhere. This is the prayer of the human heart in the midst of the human condition that says, I fundamentally am a person who needs help. You know, it's not like when the person comes up to you at, uh, at the store when you're shopping for clothes and they say, can I help you? And you always say, at least I do, no, I'm fine. I'm just looking around. Like it's not one of those requests for help. It's a real need for help. And we have to overcome our instinct to say, which I don't know about you, but my instinct, I'm good. Thank you. I can handle it. We have to get over that instinct enough to be able to understand why it is we need help. And the psalm helps us do that. You'll notice uh, the, the subtitle of this psalm is Song of Ascent. This is one of many between Psalm 120 and 134. We call those the Songs of Ascent, and we call them that because they're all lab- labeled Song of Ascent. These were songs that were used by Jewish pilgrims on their way up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is at a higher elevation than much of the area around it, and so they would be ascending to Jerusalem, and they would have, in effect, a Spotify playlist. And 
For generations, these were the songs that they would sing on their way up. In fact, you can feel, you can feel the rhythm. You can feel the call and response in this psalm. Notice the first two verses are in the first person. I lift up my eyes. Where does my help come from? And then verse three, he will not let your foot be moved. In other words, the psalmist is asking the question and giving an answer, and the community, those on the road with him are answering him back. Back and forth, where does my help come from? He will not let your foot be moved. Now, why these particular Psalms? Well, you can look at the individual ones and come to that conclusion, but what I want you to see in this, and and actually in most of them, is that these Song of Ascents are not just for this moment in time, they're really for all of life. Because the Bible often describes life as a journey, life as a walk. We see that in Psalm 1, the very first verse of the Psalms. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. It's it's a metaphor for for living, for, for walking alongside those who would give evil or wicked advice. And so these are songs that apply to all of life, not just this one particular journey. No, just the entire journey of life. And there are two main reasons we're told in this passage we need help. Because of what happens during the day and because of what happens at night. Look at verse, uh, look at verse five. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. Now I'm looking around at all of you and it's obvious that some of you in the last couple of weeks have sought out the sun at the beach or at the pool, you know, one last minute effort to get a tan or a sunburn before school starts and things get gloomy. But if you're traveling up to Jerusalem, like the sun beating down on you is not necessarily something you want. It's something you want to avoid because it exhausts you, because uh, it drives you to thirst more. You might even suffer from heat exhaustion or sunstroke. And so there's a sense in which the, the psalmist is simply saying, the Lord protects me from the elements. But because this is a song for all of life, we know that he's talking about more than just you know using sunscreen or wearing a big hat we're walking in the shade. He's talking about the way in which sometimes the temperature of life turns up. Am I right? Like sometimes things just get hot at work. It's like, okay, it's going to be one of those days, one of those weeks. Or in the family, there's just, you know when the trouble's brewing, you can see it coming. Or just at school, you know you've got that kind of week coming up, or you've got tryouts coming up, and you can just almost feel the pressure push in on your body. Jesus talks about this in one of his parables in, the, in Mark chapter four and the parable of the sower. He compares the heat of the sun to the trials and tribulations of life. It's a great image. It's a great metaphor because he's describing the way in which the hard stuff of life tests the system, stresses the plant. Some of you are seeing this in your garden right now. It's like, Probably need to water the garden a little bit because the plants are being stressed. The root system is being tested. And there's a way in which when the hard stuff comes in our lives, we find out pretty quickly where we go for help. And it's not just the problems of the day, it's also the problems of the night. It's interesting in verse six that what's put right alongside being protected from the sun is being protected from the moon. 
I mean, we can understand if he would say something like, well, you know, at night on the road, like these folks were, you'd be most vulnerable to robbers or other people taking advantage of you. Or at night, uh, it gets cold in places like Israel at night or in the desert at night. But actually, what, what's in view here is the moon. The sun won't strike you by day, nor the moon by night. And here we have to sort of get into the ancient mindset. And in this culture, and actually in other cultures today, the light of the moon was associated with certain disorders, emotional, spiritual, mental. And so, again, in the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 17, Jesus goes to heal a man who's suffering from seizures and maybe even demonic influence. And the word that's used to diagnose him there is the word moonstruck. That's literally what it says. And we still have some of that in our own language. So you think of the word lunatic or lunacy comes from the word lunar. And uh, not that I'm making this connection directly for you because I wouldn't want to associate every seizure or every other mental or emotional disorder to the light of the moon. I'm not doing that for you. I'm simply trying to connect the dots in this culture. This is the way it was understood. And let's be honest, often our most irrational fears happen at night. Sometimes I wake up in the morning and Heather, my wife, I had you sleep last night and we kind of do the had you sleep last night conversation over coffee and uh, it's a mixed bag. But often I'm like, well, I was kind of up for, you know, an hour or something. And then I, and then I explained to her what I was up thinking about and I'm, I'm even kind of baffling myself. Like, why was I really worried about that? Like, how did that irrational fear just take over an hour of my life in the middle of the night? Uh, somewhat unexplainable, but we completely relate to the way in which anxiety, fears, sometimes very irrational fears, can overwhelm us both in the day and in the night. So what's being described for us here, day and nighttime problems, are familiar problems to us. And there are occasions in which we begin to get a a closer look at how much we really need help. Not that we would admit it, And by the way, the reason we don't admit it is because we don't want to be needy people. And that sounds like a really humble thing to say. Like, I just don't want to be a needy person. Like, I don't want to be that person in my friend group. Everybody's like, oh boy, in the text group, like, okay, right? Or at the family reunion, like, here we go, right? Like, we don't want to be that person. It sounds very humble, but it may not be that humble. It may be that we are conditioned from a very early age in life to be self-sufficient, to not need people. Look, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to criticize those of us who are parents who are encouraging our kids to be self-sufficient, to move out of the house, to pay their own bills, to go their own way. That's great. We ought to be doing that. But there's also a message we can send and that we can internalize that basically says the height of maturity, emotional and spiritual, is complete independence from needing anybody's help ever. And that's just compounded in an area like this. You know, you go to a, you know, it's not like neediness is rewarded in the workplace. I I don't know where you work. But generally speaking, to say, I just need help is, is often frowned upon. What we applaud are people who are go-getters and self-starters, and you can go figure it out and follow her or follow him. They know which way they're going, not the person who's like, uh, I have a question. 
And so we can even carry that into our spiritual lives and think that the height of spiritual maturity is not really needing God's help anymore. Which couldn't be further from the truth. What Psalm 121 is showing us is actually the height of spiritual maturity is training our hearts to turn to the Lord over and over and over again for help. Not just when crisis comes. That's kind of a no-brainer. Like, you're going to have to make the choice at that point. But just in the everyday stuff and stress and anxiety of life, how often are we recognizing our need for help? Which leads us to the second point, where we find it. Uh, The answer in verse 2 is very hard to argue with. My help comes from the Lord. Who is the Lord? Well, he made heaven and earth. It's like, okay, how am I going to compete with that? Like, who do you know uh, in your life, no matter how powerful they might be, who has more resources at their fingertips than the one who made heaven and earth? Nobody. Like, who do you know that's wiser, a better counselor than the one who, out of his great wisdom, made everything you can see and can't see? Nobody. Like, you're just not going to beat that. And that alone, just that, that verse alone would be enough for us to say, okay, that gives me a lot to really think about and a lot to really process as it relates to who I turn to for help, but it doesn't end there. In fact, that's not the main emphasis of this psalm. The main emphasis of this psalm is not God as your maker, as convincing and compelling as that is, it's God as your keeper. Did you notice how many times that word shows up, keep, Keeper, keep, keeper. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord will keep you from all evil. Um, The word there means um, guardian or protector. Well, some of you would know this, uh, that people spend a lot of money in this world today trying to be kept, kept safe. So people spend a lot of money on high-tech security systems for their homes, or some of you work in places that are tightly, tightly secure, like there's a lot of money spent on the technology to make that happen and the personnel to make that happen. Some of you, that's your job, is to keep people safe. It takes resources. It takes brain power. It takes man and woman power to see to that. I mean, just imagine what, what it must be like, and maybe you're one of those people who travel around the world and you have in it, like an invisible or visible entourage around you all the time to make sure you stay safe. Like, what a sense of security to be able to sit behind the walls of all those security or know that wherever you go, there's someone who's going to like tackle somebody who, you know, wants to hurt you or just say, like, you can't get close or whatever. Like, oh, I, I, might, I might feel really safe if I had that kind of protection. And yet that kind of protection pales in comparison to what's being described here. Because what the psalmist tells us is that the Lord will keep your life. That the Lord is your keeper. The Lord himself watches over you. He doesn't scare. He doesn't flinch in the face of evil. We're told he will keep you, verse 7, from all evil. From the worst scenario you can come up with, and I know y'all, you can come up with some pretty terrible scenarios. The Lord will keep you 
from all evil. He doesn't scare. He also doesn't sleep. You see that in verses three and four. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, I love that. Behold, like wake up, hello, come back, listen. He who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Gosh, I feel like we've talked about sleep a lot this summer. And maybe I'm just sort of, you know, reflecting some things on you here. But it's worth mentioning that um, if you're getting a good eight hours every night, I don't know how, many, how much sleep you're getting. You, you, we probably all need to get more. But like, if you're getting a good eight hours every night, just reflect with me for a second what it means for you to be asleep. What it means for you as a finite creature to have to sleep. It means that every so often you have to conk out. Like we use words like I crashed. I was dead to the world. Like you're out. You're vulnerable. But the Lord never sleeps. And not only that, he keeps watch over you. He keeps vigil while you sleep. He doesn't scare. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't stop. The Lord will keep you, verse 8, will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is the season of going out and coming in. So maybe you're going out, you're coming here, going to a new job, leaving an old job, dropping kids off at college. How are y'all doing with that? How'd that go this weekend? You okay? You all right? They're going to be fine. They're going to be all right. And then, uh, you know, another kid going into seventh grade. Uh, maybe you're considering what the next position is that you're going to take at the company. Maybe they didn't come through. Like, don't we always live in this dynamic movement of coming out and going in? Like, we always have some of this going on all the time. And the promise of the psalm is that the Lord will keep you in every one of those dynamic moments of your life that feels so uncertain, that feels like the, the ground's moving underneath you. The stability that we have is the Lord, your maker, who doesn't scare, who doesn't sleep, will not stop from this time forth and forevermore. He doesn't get to a point in your life where he goes, all right, that's enough. Like this person is super high maintenance to try to, try to keep track of and watch over, like throw in the towel, enough's enough. No, he commits to you from today, from this time forth and forevermore, the Lord will be your keeper. And yet, somehow, for some reason, we still go looking for help in other places. Even though Psalm 121 is laying out for us this, this, uh, this compelling resume of what it is the Lord does to help us. He's our maker. He's our keeper. He doesn't scare. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't stop. Somehow our hearts still, still move toward other things to help us in the midst of life. And so in the midst of the anxiety of life, we, we self-medicate in all kinds of different ways. In the midst of um, the pressure of life, we, we seek to escape in all kinds of different ways, and scrolling or sleeping, more eating, more work. That's the ironic thing. Some of us, in order to escape the anxiety of work, we just work more. Why is that? 
Well, I think it, in some ways it goes back to what I said before that, that, that we're, we're just committed to the self-help project. Like we just don't want to admit, not really, that we need help. It's a very, that's, I mean, that's releasing a lot of control and we're not really sure we want to do that. And I think the other thing is all of these things, whether they're healthy things that we use in unhealthy ways or unhealthy things that we use in unhealthy ways, these are also like at our fingertips, like they're tangible. You can see them. There's an immediate hit as soon as you do this thing or reach out for this thing. It's like, oh, that helps. And then what you realize is that actually it doesn't help. We deny help. We say we don't need it, but we go looking for it in ways that often leave us ashamed and exhausted. How's the self-help project going for you? And how is it that we begin to turn our hearts back to what Psalm 121 wants to turn our hearts to? Now, it would be very easy for us to, to wrap up this morning and say, well, it's a song of ascent. So what that means is I have to ascend. Like, these are the instructions for me to make my way up to God who's out there somewhere. I just have to be disciplined enough and consistent enough and spiritual enough and religious enough and committed enough just to make my way up to him. And once I get to him, he'll help me. Like, that's, that's the, the pathway that's laid out for us here. But to me, that just sounds like a whole lot more of the self-help project uh, that, that ultimately leaves it up to you, and I just, I just wouldn't do that to you. I love you too much to do that to you, to send you out the door with that kind of list of things to do. That's just going to exhaust you even more. That's just religiously packaged self-help to tell you to go just try a lot harder, and maybe the Lord will help you, because that's not even the gospel. That's not even the good news of what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us at its core that that project of self-ascent is never going to work. But the good news is that we don't have to work and work and work to find help. Help has actually found us. And this is why Jesus came. Jesus came to help the helpless, to bring the help of heaven to earth. God descended in the person of Jesus to help us in ways we know about and ways we don't even know about. I mean, think about Jesus' own life, that when Jesus was at his most needy, when he needed his friends the most and asked them to keep watch, did they? No. They fell asleep. When he was turned over to evil men, was he kept from all evil? No, he was handed over to their schemes and their devices. When Jesus prayed for help on the cross. No angels swooped down to rescue him. He didn't enjoy the shade of God's right hand. He endured the heat of God's judgment, the judgment that you and I deserve because of our sin, because of our failure. And yet it is through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus that we can have confidence this morning, real confidence that the Lord will keep you from all evil, that even in the face of death, you have a helper, a keeper, from this time forth and forevermore. See, the promise of Psalm 121 is not that, you know, the Lord will keep you from stubbing your toe every single time you might get up in the middle of the night. I'm still on that. I'm not really sure why. Um, or that he's going to keep you free from suffering for the rest of your life. The promise of the gospel is that he will keep your life. It points to something bigger 
and better. That even through the valleys of life, we know that the Lord is with us. It is Jesus who promises us this. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you have shown us great mercy through Jesus. We thank you, Lord, that you have kept us to this day and you promise to keep us from this time forth and forevermore. That come what may, we can turn to you, our maker and our keeper. Lord, help us to do that, that our instincts might be to turn to you and not to ourselves in our time of need. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.